Welcome to the Prepare to Win podcast. I'm your host, Justin Oliver. Here with Dane Lee, as always, uh, today we have two guests on. Lindsay Rossiter is back. You want to say hello? Hi. Hi. Um, and then we have a guest, uh, Chloe Lansing, on today. Um, first, we're going to get just let Chloe kind of introduce herself, get into her background, her uh, life outside of lifting, her life inside of lifting. Um, and then we got plenty of questions that are coming through to ask her. Uh, so go ahead and Chloe, you can kind of introduce yourself, um, you know, what you do outside of powerlifting and, and, uh, what you're currently doing inside of powerlifting, I guess, and anything else you want to talk about. So I'm Chloe Dancing. I'm 30. I've been powerlifting for eight years as of this month. Um, right now I'm preparing for the showdown meet. We're about seven weeks out. Um, what other details do you want? Uh, what, what is it that you do outside of powerlifting? So like career-wise, I own my own business. I'm um, a client body worker, so I do massage and stuff on performance sources. Lots of soft tissue work. That's interesting. How, uh, how did you get into that? I'm, I'm kind of curious because that's, that's not a field you come across every day. Um, so I grew up riding and showing horses, um, and I wanted to continue being involved with horses, but I don't, like I didn't want to ride anymore. So I just kind of started looking into what um, different careers are with horses, and I just kind of took off from there. It was literally just like a Google search, and I found that I could do soft tissue work with them, and then I just started taking courses to be certified, and then started my own business. Now, is that uh, like a special, like, did you have to travel out of state to go to a school there? Or is there like, you know, is there one there in Iowa or where? That's where you're from, right? Iowa? Yeah, yeah, I'm in <laughs> Iowa. So, um, equine by work, very different than, let's say, school for human massage. Human massage, you'd go to like a college. We don't have that for horses. Um, a lot of us will like mentor under somebody. So that's what I've done sure. to learn different techniques. So like my first technique I learned was sports massage. Um, and then I went to South Dakota to learn uh, mild fascia release. So yeah, it's definitely different than human massage when it comes to schooling and like licensing certifications. Yeah, Dane, um, I thought you guys would be able to kind of nerd out on all of it because he, he's actually... Um, that's part of what he does is he's a licensed massage therapist. So yeah, it's very interesting. I give you a lot of credit. I thought it was hard working on power lifters and then you add, you know, like another quarter ton of mass on top of that. So the funny thing is actually horses respond to a really light touch. I I had to explain this to Justin. um, He does my nutrition and he wanted to know like what my, work was like it sounds labor intensive but it's not like i use really light techniques and that's how the horses respond um the best and so it's not like i'm putting all force in my body into them to get them to release so your, your job actually might still be harder now Lindsay was mentioning some of the stuff that you actually get to use uh with the horses like the magna wave um yeah. are there other things besides that not to like end up nerding out and going too much on a tangent towards that no, but okay. 
So yeah, um, MagnaWave for people that don't know what that is, it's post electromagnetic therapy. Um, it's this big machine. Honestly, it looks like a suitcase, um, and I can plug in these uh, hoses into it, uh, and then I put the hoses on the horse, and it will carry the current into their body. Um, it goes really deep. It helps with like improving circulation and blood flow, all that. Um, the other I have is just a cold laser. So okay. mostly I just do hands-on MagnaWave cold laser. No, it's um, one of the clients I have, she works with horses and she mentioned the MagnaWave. She actually brought it in and I got is to she? use it. Yeah, I used it on myself and a couple of other people uh, just to see if there would be a benefit. And I had contacted MagnaWave to see if I'd be able to get one of their products and like to try yeah. it out. And they had this version that was like a blanket where it connects into yes. it and you can just like lay it on top of someone or you have them actually lay on it. And I was looking into doing and something like that. But yeah, my first introduction to it was because of, you know, equine, basically sports medicine. Yeah. That's so cool. Most people don't know what it is. So I'm, I'm like excited right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's uh, really beneficial. I use it on myself. Um, it, I, for me personally, I find it's best if I use it, let's say like three to five days in a row. What are the session lengths that you like to do um, for that? For humans, uh, I'll put it on a person for like 20 minutes. Okay. For horses, it depends. So a uh, horse, if the owner just wants a magnoid session, I would do 30 minutes for the full body. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I combine it with my hands-on work. When I do that, I'll do 15 minutes of magnoid, and then I will get into the hands-on session. All right, so if anyone wants so, to cut me off, I'll start so, nerding out here. Is that, is that running like the newbie system that Varel had? Is that, is that kind of on the same waves, or is that a little bit different? I would say it's probably on the same idea of intensity or mm-hmm. like effectiveness, but so the pulse electromagnetic frequency is going to be the electromagnetic effect, and the newbie is more of, um, not more of, it is the electrical stimulation. Got it, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So two different forms of energy production that are going into yeah. it, but like in their own ways, equally as effective or intense. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I wanted to get into, you know, kind of your process of how you started powerlifting. And then, you know, obviously as you, as you progress, like any of us are, you know, things have to change. Life has to change, I guess, in a way. Um, how did you get into powerlifting and what, what does that progression look like uh, as you started getting better? So I think I have a similar background as like a lot of women. I was running for a long time. I thought that's what I had to do to get into shape. But like the more I ran, one, I didn't enjoy the process of running. Two, I didn't like like my body changes as a result of it. It just, it, it wasn't my ideal body shape. So when social media started becoming more popular, um, probably 2013, I started seeing images of CrossFit women and they had muscles and I was like, oh, that's what I want to look like. So I started lifting on my own. Eventually, I found a gym that was 
specialized for like strength athletes here in Cedar Rapids called the Anvil Gym. Um, I had to have a phone interview to be allowed to go into the gym. And then <laughs> once I started... Yeah, I like coach, that idea. Yeah. My first coach was like, you know, you actually are kind of strong. Maybe you should compete. And that terrified me because I'm, I'm really I'm pretty introverted. I don't want to be like crowds of people, etc. But eventually, yeah, he convinced me to compete. So I started training. It was like August 2013. My first meet would have been July 2014. Do you remember what you totaled in your first meet? I don't. I should have looked it up. But oh, I, started as a, I started as a 123 pounds fast lifter. Um, and I'm like almost 5'5". Five five, so I was, I was, that's not the weight class for me. I was really skinny. Oh, Chloe. Took up what Chloe hit in her first meet. Her first meet. I guess doing open powerlifting. Yeah. <laughs> it's creeping. I'm yeah. creeping. Yeah, 6.83. Oh, you beat me by 40 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> and if you, you know, look at that, that's nearly doubled now. So. Yeah, that's um, We always talk about that. You know, we try to get new lifters, younger lifters, or even I should just say new lifters because not everyone's young coming into it. Um, just to understand the whole process. You know, you're at first you're you're probably going to be able to put, you know, 60, 70, 80 pounds on your total right away. Um, you know, as long as you're halfway uh, serious, you know, eat decent, sleep decent, have mm-hmm. a decent program, um, really almost anything at that point. But to, to maintain that for years, you see a lot of people, they get to this, like, it usually happens about two and a half, three years in where things get a little bit harder, you're a little bit stronger. Um, maybe you had technique flaws that need fixed, you know, things like that happen. Um, it, and I always say, like, at least here at the gym, we get a new generation of lifters uh, about every three years or so, every every two and a half to three years as, as on point with when it gets a little bit harder, that's when you see a lot of people start to quit. Um, yeah. Or they plateau for, you know, four or five months kind of, and the lifts aren't really progressing as much. And what they don't realize is like you have to stick through those points mm-hmm. because you're you're getting ready for a big gain again. You know, and me and Lindsay, we've both, uh, I think if you average it out, put about 80 to 90 pounds a year on our totals. And we, we continually tell people like you just have to push through. And it's almost like people think we're just – full of shit or something you know but if you look at pretty much every lifter you know it's the longer you're in the sport usually the better you're gonna get you know but it comes into play where you need to start dialing things in um we get the common excuses of you know a lot of times it's work a lot of times it's school it's you know some kind of life change um but we've all had that along the way so I think it just takes it takes a special mentality to be able to continually push year after year, um, you know. And I, I tell everyone, take it a week at a week at a time, one block at a time. Don't people look ahead like I want to hit these numbers this year? Like, just to progress the blocks and see what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, it's good to have goals, but um, you know, I don't know if you're like that. If that's kind of helped you through, is just focusing on the near term or. Yeah, well, I'm thankful that when I got into this sport, 
social media wasn't quite what it is now. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't so, I don't know, I think people get, people see lifters that have been doing this for like five, ten years, and they're like, I want to be like that right now. But you literally, that's impossible. You can't do that. Yeah. So I'm glad that social media wasn't like that then because it just allowed me to kind of, I don't know, put my blinders on and focus on myself. Yeah, and you almost don't know at that point. Like I remember when we 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 all started about the same time, and sure you had um, oh I can't remember the name of the site. Wow, um, what was the old? Watch. Yes. Yeah, powerlifting watch. Oh <laughs> yeah. my god, yeah. So you had powerlifting watch. You could kind of see what was going on a little bit, um, but there wasn't as you know just simply there wasn't as many lifters. It wasn't as popular. Um, you know, even in our small town at the time, you, you know, we had some high, high level lifters. So I thought like, these are the strongest people in the world. And at the time they actually kind of were, um, there, there, this area used to be kind of a wrecking ball for powerlifting. The, the thing is like, it wasn't pasted all over social media. We got into it and we just competed. We literally decided, Hey, three months from now, we signed up for a meet when we started powerlifting. Um, whereas now you see, I've got guys in here and girls that, have been lifting in here for probably two years now have never competed, but they use a powerlifting program. They use, you know, the kilos, they use all the specialty bars or whatever they're doing, but they're almost like afraid to compete because they want to be more competitive. If you, if you're waiting to be more competitive, you're going to wait for four or five, six years, you know, and what's that doing for you? You're not gaining any experience. That and people just keep getting more competitive too. Like if that makes sense. Um, yeah. 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 You're better off just going and competing as soon as you can. Yeah. Just start to get, that's why I tell people all the time, like, well, when should I compete? It's not I'm like now, like get the experience, learn how the day mm-hmm. goes, you know, don't expect to go in and just blow everyone out of the water. Cause you're probably not going to. Right. And I think people see, um, you do get people that just started powerlifting two, three years ago that are, you know, in the top ranks. But what people don't see is that person came from bodybuilding or they came from, you know, some of them D one sports and they've yeah. been lifting for 10, 12 years of their life, you know, and they decide to convert over to powerlifting, but people don't realize they were already doing the lifts somehow in their training. Right. Also. So doesn't mean that's where you should be two yeah. years into powerlifting yeah. if you don't have that background. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of people just, you know, the, you got to focus on the long term focus on the near term to get to the long term is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can't, you can't expect to come in and be top 10 in your first year. It's probably not going to happen. No. You know, we're, we're getting ready. Uh, me and Jordan Jarrell are getting ready to start meets in the RPS. Um, so I always like to ask lifters that come on here or just in general, um, what do you look for when you're starting to pick out meets? Obviously you're a higher ranking athlete. So I imagine, you know, you're trying to go for some money and, things like that as well. Um, but besides that factor, um, what are things you kind of look for in meets? That's a good question. Yeah, you hit the first thing right on the head. Definitely looking at money meets, but for let's say a newer lifter, um, I'd probably look for um, like meet directors that have been doing it for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, nah, I know you guys just said you're going to start your own meet. Yeah, yeah. We, we expect hey we expect to fuck up a little bit so I, I've said this on the last week's episode is you know we've both been in powerlifting um you know competing for what six years now seven years but 
we've and we've helped with meets we've spotted loaded you know we've done it all but we've never actually been the meet director of meets so Mm -hmm. we expect to screw up a little bit we you know we'll learn from that that's how you learn but anyway go on um, I don't, I don't know if I have anything else to contribute. But what, what do you guys think, Lindsay? What do you look for? Uh, <laughs> Put on the spot. <laughs> no I pressure. Mean, like an efficient day, definitely, which mm-hmm. we've talked about. Like we've been to meets where it's 13 hours and you get done with deadlifts at 9 p.m. Oh, which wow. by then you're just dead. Yeah, I think the, so the efficiency, the organization, the... Um, kind of the reputation too uh, of that you know because once people start running meets for a while you start to kind of know and or at least can ask some people and find out like how efficient's their days do they pack the meets full of 90 lifters and try to get them all through on one day uh what's the warm-up area like that's kind of a big one for me is i scout i scout the venue of where it's at and i look unless it's someone like you know like iron mafia came out of running rps meets and We've done USPA and we've done RPS. And the thing I liked about Iron Mafias is like they you knew what you were getting. You knew you were going to warm up on the same equipment that's on the platform. You knew that they weren't going to overpack the flights. You knew the judging was going to be fair. Didn't matter who you were, what your name was, uh, what your Instagram following was. You know, in the USPA, I've seen it both ways. I've seen very, very efficient meets and I've seen meets where we've went and we had to warm up in crossfit you know rigs with just jank bars and there wasn't even enough plates for everyone in the warm-up area and um and i've seen the same for you know an rps meet or two i won't say who ran them um that i had to jump into that there just wasn't quite the same uh organization in the warm-up area so that's kind of a big thing on my end is is you can never predict how the warm-ups are going to go and everyone's, you know, you, you guys have been to enough meets or sometimes an asshole or two or, um, but to know that at least the equipment's going to be there and your flight isn't going to be overpacked. I think those are two big things. Yeah. So. Definitely with the flight. I've been, I don't like going to meets where if I'm competing in wraps, if there are like 15 people in a flight, mm-hmm. that's You're like waiting. my favorite things. Yeah. yeah. 30 minutes yeah. between attempts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think it, it just depends. Like if it's a, you know, I, I've watched some meets where they put all the wraps in one flight. You know, we've seen where they uh, recently at these bigger meets, they're putting, quote unquote, the top lifters all in one flight. You know, we've seen um, where they break it up, male, female, you know, and then kind of just the traditional whatever your opener is, you kind of get placed there. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a bunch of different ways to run. I think it it's going to depend on you know, the, the level lifter that's coming and things like that. Um, cause at these invite meets, you can kind of get away with a little bit more organization, but you know, at like a local ish meet, you might have someone, it's their first time coming out and they're opening their squat, <clears throat> you know, at 95 pounds, maybe it's a teenager or something or a young kid. And then you have someone that's going to open, you know, next person's open their squat at 400, you know, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. like you just, you just never know. Cause it's all about who signs up for that right. day. Whereas the invites, it's a little bit more like everyone's at least a little more on an even playing field. Mm-hmm. A lot goes into it. Um, do, 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 do. I wanted kind of transitions. <laughs> you guys like my sounds, yep. my transition. Sorry, sounds. <laughs> um, so 
kind of the reason I wanted to get on the topic of meats too is, you know, to, to kind of talk about where we think powerlifting is heading. Something that I've noticed lately, and I'm not sure if I'm the only one. Um, I don't think I am. But uh, a lot of these big invite meets, we're starting to see where people, we saw it a couple years ago at um, the Open when there was the whole issue of someone asked to get into the meet. Um, they basically were told to fuck off because they didn't have a high enough Wilkes. But then other people were getting pushed into the meet with a worse Wilkes score. In, in the past year, I can think of a few meets where people are getting invited to these meets where you're not ranked. So I, I, you see people that are ranked 50th, 60th in the world getting invited and going to meets over people that are in the top 15. You're seeing people that don't meet the Wilkes score, but they have a bunch of Instagram followers, so they're pushed into these meets. And in my opinion, if we're going to hold these meets and we're going to say, hey, it's this much of a dots, Wilkes, whatever you want to go by to enter, then we kind of need to honor that because it's not fair, in my opinion, to these lifters that have been working their ass off that are ranked in the top 20 to not be invited for someone who has 100,000 followers. Mm-hmm. You know, and I get that some meat, some meat directors have turned this into like a full business and you want to bring attention to your meat and all that stuff. Yeah. But I kind of revert back to, you know, the live large fall brawl we have here every year. Someone attempts a world record every single year. And we're talking all time world record, regardless of feds and all that crap. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> we have never until this year put up money we've never put up big prizes we've never had a a wilkes or dots coefficient that you had to hit to enter Mm -hmm. you know so i think if if you're running an efficient meet you know people are going to show up people are going to come you know what i mean yeah they're going to recognize quality yeah yeah um i don't know chloe you're the one who gets invited to uh to all these meets so i I don't know if you have an opinion (laughs) on it or I just feel like whatever, whatever you put out, you should honor that. That's just, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. 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 So, um, but, you know, the, the one thing I do like is, you know, the direction of, of powerlifting as far as there, there's a lot more money being thrown out um, to people. And we're not seeing just like first place takes all anymore. It's starting to be, you know, you get one, two, threes. Um, that are getting prize money. Um, yeah, Sh- Showdown, I think, is top five for men and women. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think yeah. top five there. So I like that direction. Um, in your opinion, what do you think it's going to take? You know, what's kind of the next step for powerlift? Do you think we're heading in, in the good direction with that? Or do you think there's things that need to be changed? Or As far as, like, money needs, do I think things are heading in a good direction? Is that... Yeah, just just powerlifting in general with the the money 
coming into it and um you know everyone like we screwed up espn we tried <laughs> you know we screwed uh yeah there's a whole drama thing uh they misloaded a bench that was an all-time world record but so we embarrassed ourselves <laughs> a little um i don't think we ever make it back to like the olympics or anything i don't think well, that's ever going to happen yeah. but yeah i mean i don't care if we go to the olympics honestly that's not yeah. really what i would want in the sport yeah. but that's just my opinion i don't yeah i like that there's more money coming up um even locally i noticed that mm-hmm. there are meet directors that have seen that people people want to go to money meets so they're starting to bring money into the local meet and i think that's a good move mm-hmm yeah, I've noticed it, even if it's not money, some of the prizes, um, you know, one of our lifters brought home one of those Kabuki bars. It's like $800 bar and she had a handful of prizes. And I mean, I think she had like a couple hundred dollars in gift cards. This was a local yeah. meet still. Um, you know, yeah. there was some good lifters, but. Yeah, there's like starting to be a lot more levels of money meets that people can compete at. Like yeah. the top, top people are going to go to the current and the showdown, of mm-hmm. course. But then, like, there's more, like, local-type meets or, like, a mid-level, high-level, like, the um, surge meet in mm-hmm. October. A lot of, like, high-level lifters go to that. But then, like, lifters like myself can also go there and be competitive. But in my opinion, that's how it should be because, mm-hmm. you know, even when you went, you were ranked, what, like, 48th or something? I, I think, fi- let's call it 50th, whatever it was, somewhere in that range, 47 um you know in your weight class and it's like you know something like that she might go to that meet maybe someone has a bad meet in front of her let's say you know a bunch of top 20 lifters go top 30 it only takes one or two lifts for that person to screw up and then all of a sudden that person that's the outlier ranked you know still ranked 50th in the world it's like um that person has a shot at money you know Um, because anything can happen on the meet day the current a few years ago when I think it was a 242 class. You had um, you had two people get injured, or sorry, one get injured, one bombed out, you know, so that moved up everyone, and like yeah. someone that no one ever heard of really placed second, and someone that, you know, might have not been in the money before placed third. So, you know, it's like um, anything can happen. It's just like a, it's, it is a sport. Mm-hmm. You know, anything yeah. can happen on any given day. So... You know, I do like to see that, like you said, more money is coming in. I think people need to also realize is like, you know, not every meet's going to have money, big prizes. Um, a lot of it depends on sponsors and who's willing to do what, you know. Um, you know, like I know me and Jordan, we have our, our list of sponsors, but, you know, we're both the type. We don't, we don't go say, hey, you need to throw in this much. You need to give us X amount for this meet, you know, and be demanding or be like begging about it. Uh, if they want to chip in, they chip in. If they, if they can't, some businesses at that time may not be able to do it. You know, mm-hmm. you see this like, and especially in the younger lifters coming up where they're expecting, like they want, you know, the best bars, the best equipment, they want money in the meets and all this, but then they don't want to pay a hundred dollars to compete. And where do you th- where do you think the money goes? Like it, it goes into the sport, you know. Yeah. Uh, me and Jordan put up for the fall brawl, um, you know, whatever. I think we put up a thousand dollars of our own money for it. You know, we're just getting and we're we're just getting into this. You know, it's um, something we both decided to do. 
where you know we wanted to put something into it and um i know live large is giving away bars uh, we had another sponsor i think did 250 to each lifter and that's where the money came from mm-hmm. you know me and jordan could have said eh, now nah, we you know first year we need to keep buying equipment and get things going you know screw that we're gonna keep our thousand dollars no we chose to put it into it so anyway i don't go too far <laughs> into that whole i think it's headed thing. in a good direction though yeah, I mean, I think all overall, all. I, I just think, and I notice the same thing with the gym, um, is the same thing, you know, it happens in every industry right now, is people who have never owned a business, ran a business, uh, ran meets, you know, all that, you, you have to understand, like, don't be overly critical of every little thing that goes on, especially when money, how much the meat is, you know, the way the meat's uh, organized, you know, I'm not going to say ran, but the way the meet's organized, it's the same as the people that come into this gym and want a $25 membership, but they want kilo plates, brand new bars. They want four monos and all this shit. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, it's never going to work that way. I think everyone just needs to be a little bit mindful of that. Anyway. Are you going to sing your song now? What, my doo-doo-doo? <laughs> um, Transition song. Yeah, don't, don't let me rant. You guys can jump oh. in. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I mean... How many times have you encouraged and sometimes just like mandated, like if you are a lifter in the gym, you need to be at the meet in order to help out. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's because it takes a lot of people to load and to get things taken care of and have it run smoothly. But the other part of it is you just, you get the experience of seeing everything that goes into it. Yeah. And as a lifter in the gym, you then become more appreciative of this is what it actually takes. And part of that is how much money goes into it, how much you know manpower yeah. and time goes into it. Mm-hmm. And just have that little bit of exposure and a little bit of experience makes a big difference. Um, Spotting and loading will humble you to the sport. You'll understand what actually goes into it. I I think everyone should spot and load at some point and you don't have to do it the whole day. Do it until you feel a little tired because I promise you one flight flight later. (laughs) Yep. After one flight, you're going to be like, people do this all day. Hours and yeah, hours. and yeah. you'll you'll feel the dizziness. You'll feel the like odd feeling of like, what did I just do? Because you were just stacking plates the whole time. Um, it's very fast paced, but you know we do see that where I've got, you know, not to bash totals or new people or anything. There's young guys in here, you know, new to the sport, total eleven hundred. Whereas the last um, fall brawl we had here, the last flight was spotted by um i was the lowest i'm sorry tyler tyler was partial spotter uh, no i think i was the lowest lowest total i mean the the, the lowest total on the platform spotting mm-hmm. and loading was um me at the time 1901 everyone on the platform had above a 1900 total that was spotting and loading yeah why volunteering their yeah why their because effort. we wanted that mm-hmm. that flight to be safe yeah you know there were some big heavy hitters guys squatting uh, over 900,000 pounds, you know, and we wanted to make sure that that was all taken care of properly, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you know, and I can remember it was you know, me, Jordan, um, Tyler Obringer was back there. You know, you had Cruz and uh, like even Tyler Pardon who jumped in is still, you know, pretty pretty good total on him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to think you're above like ever helping in this sport is the wrong mentality. I think I've at least tried to help spot and load at every single meet we've ever had here. 
I think I've always had to jump in at some point. Usually I spot and load the uh, the big squads because I want to make sure no yeah. one dies. Yeah, it's kind of essential. Step one. No yeah. So some questions for, for Chloe here. We're going to get you talking a little bit. <laughs> She's happy that you've been talking. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know what you guys talk. Um, question that came through is what what's uh, your goals for the showdown? For the showdown. Ooh, okay. I'm going to say it out loud. All-time world record, sleep total. So I need more than 1256. I totaled 1223 back in February at Highbridge Showdown. So I'm very close. Mm-hmm. And this would be um, this would be in the 148 class in sleeves, right? Yes, 148 in sleeves. I want to take this, and then I would like to move up to 165. After. Yeah, I think that'll be a a good move. I'm 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 excited for both meets, but I I really want to see you on you know no cut allowed to eat you know as long as the leverages don't change on on things. It what, might be good for the what, squat. What kind of number can be put up because it right. it's going to be bulk the waist yeah, up a little bit. It's going to be pretty yeah. crazy. <laughs> but I'll say like you know we're not too far down into depths obviously yet but um i think your your midsection everything is holding up pretty well through the small weight drop like i told her i want to see her at like 152 range 153 range because then that's a that's a fairly easy cut down yeah that's super easy yeah that's what I was so like 150, i was 152 152 i believe right before her and that was a super easy manipulation of the ego like i was yeah. struggling um it was easy to become yeah and I, felt good I think um yeah and i won't get into it too much if if you're interested go back i think i talked about it last week cutting during cutting. yeah yeah um cutting during preps you know why not always optimal and everyone's like don't do it okay these elite level people especially people going for all-time world records uh, a lot of times there is no choice um most of the top lifters are cutting some sort of weight now uh very few i i can't think of too many who walk around at one you know your weight class at 148 or 149 on the dot or even 145 that are near the top there's not too many um but i won't get too far into that but it is it's it is possible as long as you're doing it smart and um you're not dragging things out at the end too harshly or dragging things down at the wrong time, you're fine. So. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, I would love to, like, just water cut from 157 to 148, but I literally cannot reach out from a water cut. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and everyone's, everyone's different. I think that's something, if you were really going to mess with it, 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 it might take a couple times to really learn because there might have been something that you did before that, didn't work right but then you change one or two things of what you're putting back into your body and it might change the whole yeah. game you know um that's risky business that's risky yeah, yeah to mess with As like at the meat yeah um yeah so it's one it's one of those things like um you know there's little checks you can do like i forget how far you were out and i had you kind of change up your sodium um, it wasn't as, as much as I, I wanted, I, I wanted her to take, uh, her sodium lower. Um, but there's little checks you can do pretty far out to kind of know 
on average how much water you are holding um, and to kind of see where you'd be. And I know for, for her, sometimes we drop the food during the deload, um, not excessively, but down decently to see if that affects what that affects and how much. Okay. One thing I've noticed with Chloe is she, she holds a ton of inflammation during her training, and that's evident by the amount of water retention that's in there. Okay. So um, that's another thing that will be in. Would you, would you say you want to talk about? I was going to say we could talk about like weight class selection and stuff like mm-hmm. Chloe. How long have you like had to kind of manage slash restrict your weight to stay in the 148 weight class? And what made you decide oh. that it was time to maybe go up after this meet? Yeah, so I know you've been question. back and forth. I know I have been, but this time I need it. Okay, I'm going to cut your weight. Do not let me cut again. Um, it's, I have to pull up my open power thing, to be honest. Um, let's see, I know I competed a couple years ago in Kentucky and I walked in at like 138 and then um, honestly over those last probably like a year after that I was already up to 148 and then yeah in 2018 I'm creeping uh, December 2018 you were uh, 145 weigh in so you were already okay. there you know it's been a few okay. years definitely yeah. since 2019 yeah. you've been at your class weight yes. so. and I've been really having to, like, diet, make sure I'm getting in daily steps mm-hmm. um, since, oh, at least the last year. Like, it's been pretty meticulous, yeah. And that's, again, going back to uh, people who are listening that might be a little bit newer, you know, that's, I don't even want to call it sacrifice because sometimes I hate that word, um, but that's what it takes, you know if she's got this goal, she knows she needs to maintain. Um, and I say this because I have had lifters that come back and check in popped up six, seven pounds because they went off their food for three weeks, Mm -hmm. you know, went on a binge and it's like, you, you just, you know, you're trying to make, um, you know, the lifters trying to make 165 class was down to 170, you know, and they don't compete till October. Then they went out and eight and went up to 175. It's like, you know, it's, then you got more work to do, you know, so yeah. it takes discipline to be at that level. Uh, if you want, if you want to keep continuing to get better, that's, that's how it goes. So what are your, I don't want to make you think too far in advance, but do you have goals yet for the 165 class? I, yeah, I actually looked it up. Um, when I, so I signed up for the Girls Clash and that's in February in Miami. Um, I want to hit a top five total in sleeves at 165 then and now I don't remember what those numbers are but I remember them being very much in reach especially mm-hmm. because I will not be dieting and they're really not that far off my 148 sleeves total yeah yeah like I said I think I think you're gonna be surprised and it's, it's gonna work out when you yeah decide to just eat and mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're, you have, you have that structure too, that you could pop the food up significantly. And I, I'm guessing you're going to sit like 161, 162. So you're, yeah. you, it would probably take a lot of forcing to get, especially in the short term to get up to that 165 on the dot. And do you, um, really and need do you need that, it? Probably yeah. not, you know, cause it might change those leverages too much in a short time. Yeah. Now, long term, sure. You know, but um, I, I never 
like that when people decide to go up a weight class and they and they push you know again it depends on your body structure but they push all the way up to that weight class and their their leverages aren't prepared for it and then they don't get as much out of it as they should because now their techniques off and especially when you start moving the weights that you know chloe is like you throw that technique off just a, just a little bit and that's a miss miss lift that could be 40 pounds off the lift mm-hmm. you know so do you notice though that you feel better in your lifts when you're a little heavier yeah like the right now I'm, I'm i don't want to say it's struggling but i'm noticing um like i don't know how my squat feels right now as i start getting smaller uh-huh. um my bench surprisingly is amazing uh deadlift I don't know that I've noticed a huge change with that. I'd say mostly squat right now is yeah, where I feel absolutely. a little weird. And I'm definitely excited to see what happens as I fill out, become a little more full figured in the future. Full <laughs> figured. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I, I, you, this is why, like, with, with her food, we take it very, very slow. It's, and Lindsay's been through this a couple times with me. Um, I never just drop things off completely so those don't change too quick. Mm-hmm. Hopefully she can adapt quick. Um, but I already have some ideas for recomping and things anyway that will hopefully help. But yeah, sorry, I didn't like screenshot these questions. Heading back. Rapid fire question, what's your favorite lift? Ooh, dead left. Predictable. Um, <laughs> I want to I want to say something about your deadlift. Do you care if I say something about your strap thing for all those listening? Oh, go for it. I'm I'm just going to put it out there for the world to hear. If you think that Chloe's strap helps her, you're a fucking idiot. Um I promise you go out, grab a gymnastic strap, wrap it around the bar and try to grip that thing in deadlift and I'm telling you now it's going to be harder than normal deadlift. Um you know, the other thing where people if anyone does say that Look at her squat. You think that like it's going to be that much of a disparity for someone that's built to deadlift, uh, to sumo deadlift? You think it's going to be that much of a disparity between her squat and deadlift? No. And who has that perfect of technique? Yeah, with the technique. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, you know, she's a technique Nazi on herself. So uh, if you watch, yeah. if you watch it, it's efficient. You know, and in whether anyone thinks it or not, uh, again you're very disadvantaged in your bench. Um, but you don't make excuses on that. You, you do what you can and, and it is what it is. But, um, you know, for anyone that would think that like she has some supreme advantage. No, she just doesn't, she doesn't make excuses. She, she does what she does and deals with the card she was dealt. And Mm -hmm. that's why she's a top lifter. So. Trevor and I were just talking about my bench the other day, actually. So when I first came to him, um, my pack was super uneven. I think it had to do with like how my, I don't know, something with my scapula. He could explain it better than I can. Mm-hmm. But he has done wonders for like my bench. It's not as uh, uneven as it was. It's never going to be perfect. I don't think anyone's is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's definitely more efficient than it was before I started working with Trevor. Yeah. What, um, that's, that was a question we were going to ask too. Uh, when, did you decide to get a coach? Like, when was your first coach, and um, why? Like, what what did, went down that path? Like, what made that decision to hire a coach? Um, so, first coach back in 2013 was at that time the owner of Anvil Gym. His name is Ken McClellan. He's uh, 
professional strongman. Uh-huh. Um, I worked with him for uh, at least a couple of years, I think. Um, and I just kind of hit a point where I had progressed with him, I think, as much as I was going to. And then I, my, my fiance at the time took over my coaching and he, we got to, let's see, number three all time in wraps at 148. Things were progressing and then I just kind of noticed that we were, maybe we were overlooking some things. Like I, I, I knew my bench felt uneven, I knew that mm-hmm. feel better. I believe I was following Trevor on Instagram at the time and I was really interested in, he's always posting videos on like, mobility technique yeah stuff. corrections and things. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah corrections there we go i was like i think that this is the coach for me but i took a long time to actually pull the trigger on hiring him like i kind of went back and forth on it um but i let's see it's been a year and a half over a year and a half i don't i don't remember what the last like straw was but i was finally like you know what i think i just need to do this i don't have anything to lose i think i'm only going to get better from it yeah and i have no regrets well actually my only regret is not hiring him sooner uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah coaches are very helpful anytime i come across a lifter that's like i'm not making progress and we do have a coach like we film a program yeah and tell me no and then it's back full and like it's worth it yeah can we just get that as a sound clip and like send it to people <laughs> yeah yeah. I mean, well, even if you do your research and you have knowledge and you know your own body, having that outside perspective no. is a game changer that's, for sure. That's what made yeah. me hire a coach. My first coach was Josh Bryant. Um, I worked with him for probably about a year and a half when I hired Trevor. And, um, you know, for me, it was like I was coming to that point where it was getting harder to get stronger. And I was being very... Um, you, I was not ego lifting, but I was I was playing to my strengths way too much, and I wasn't working on things I probably knew I needed to work on. And you know, there'd be days I just wanted to lift heavier, and it'd be say this on the program, and that's not what I wanted to do. And you know, I couldn't keep that in check uh, as well as I wanted to. But you know, they have kind of different styles, but I, I learned you know plenty from both of them on on different things that I should be doing. You know, I think it doesn't matter what level you're at; you can always learn it doesn't matter you know what you think you know and things like that uh that outside perspective is really going to help do, 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 do. transition so do you feel like your bench has been like your most difficult lift throughout your powerlifting career yeah i know you were at like 225 ish for a good while yes i was at 225 for a while and then last year i think i had three meets in a row where i benched 242 um and was it two weeks ago? I finally doubled two forty two in training. But oh, damn. yeah, bench. Yeah. I don't bench. know if I knew that. Thought you found me on Instagram. Oh. <laughs> I need to be told specifically. <laughs> um, yeah, bench has been very difficult. I don't know if it's just like my leverages and build or I'm a woman. But I feel like if you stick with it it's funny to, to you have get, to work through it you know when yeah. people and be patient it's how critical people are when they're you know get better it's like you know doubles 242 or whatever and that's a bad bench yeah you know <laughs> and it's like you, you 
watch. I think that's the thing is like a lot of people forget. Like go if you compare yourself to just average human being, it's like it's ridiculous. First of all, mm-hmm. but if you compare yourself to the most of the powerlifting world, it's still very impressive, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but we're always striving to like get better. Um, I mentioned this on the podcast when we had uh, Brianni on. It's like you know a lot of people, even us who are weak asses. Um, we're still in like the top 1% all time in powerlifting and we're not like, there's people I'll beat my ass, you know, like they'll kill me with their openers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just the way it is. You're always striving to get better. Like I can remember for the longest time I wanted to pull 700, pull 700. I'm like, this isn't good enough. This is bullshit. You know, like you yeah. always try to try to get better. Um, yeah, we want to be 300 pound bench girls. Right. Yeah. Someday <laughs> I just gotta keep. We just gotta keep chipping away. You know. What? Uh, I guess you know. Another question off that is, now that you're at this point, I don't want to use the word motivation, but like, what's your reason to kind of keep going? Is it like personal goals? Is it what? Uh, what continues to push you? Because I feel like that happens a lot where people reach a certain level, and they get kind of lazy with some things, or they just. Yeah, you know, like okay, I got here. You know. I'm yeah, or they get burned that's out. That's good enough. Yeah, get burned um, out. Honestly, I think it comes down to that I love training. Like that's mm-hmm. my favorite part of my day. Yeah. So it, I think that's what it comes down to is loving training and the process. Yep. I mm-hmm. like that. It makes it so much better when you actually enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. Besides, when people <laughs> bother me in the gym. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel. Uh, you know, lately I've taken the the step back to do the outside, you know, the gym things and life and stuff like that. But like when I'm, you know, this is the first time I've took a step back in what, seven eight years. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, um, but when I'm in it, I'm in it, and that's my favorite time of the day. My day revolves around when I'm going to train. Um, mm-hmm. I try to get my food right, my mind yeah. right, and like. You know, there, it's hard to explain that feeling of when you actually love to do it, you know. Exactly. So. Yeah. And, and you said that well. Uh, your day revolves around it. That's me every day. I'm like, okay, I need to drink the water. I need to get these meals yep. in. I'm training later. I want to picture what I'm going to hit in training later. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're and if your day is thrown off, you know this this is an, again advanced athletes versus beginners. When your day is thrown off, you know and understand how to adjust to that. You know, if, yep. uh, if you're out. You know, you got some horses to work on or whatever, and, uh, you know, client runs over an hour, hour and a half, and then your drive back, you hit traffic, you know, mm-hmm. you know how to adapt to that. And and okay. you know that you've been there before. You know that just because the day wasn't optimal doesn't mean your training is going to be bad. Right. We've right. seen that a lot. I mean, how many times has it been like, for whatever reason, you, you know, you sleep bad or your food was off or you know, again, something hits you in life that threw you off. Then you go in and you hit a PR or something, or you just have a great day. It happens all the time. You know, so yeah. I, th- I think the mentality changes when you start to get to to those upper levels. But also, yeah. you know. do you want to talk about that a little bit? Like how your mentality has changed? I know you said like mental imagery is big for you, but like mm-hmm. if you do have like a bad day outside the gym, I mean, obviously you're always having pretty good training days and hitting PRs and moving in an upward direction. So how has like your mentality helped that or how have you had to change your mentality to 
get better. Um, when I first started competing, so that would have been 2014, I had the worst time with meets. Like, I'd get on the platform and I would basically forget how to lift. So I was like, okay, I mean, I either have to quit the sport or figure out, <laughs> to figure out how to make this work. So I started actually reading books on visualization, um, and that is what got me over that that hump or whatever that fear of the platform was. It, it honestly it felt super cheesy because like I'd have to sit down and like write out how I wanted my meet day to go, and maybe like sit there quietly, close my eyes, and picture it. So visualization has been huge for me, and I continue to use that. This day. I don't think that sounds cheesy. Mm-mm. It doesn't. Okay. No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> it always felt weird, like sitting down and writing in my diary or whatever, you know, how I wanted the meat day to go, but it helps. It works. I mean, there's a lot of science behind the whole idea of like exposure therapy, where it's like you have to go do a version of the thing that you're terrified of, like mm-hmm. at the place that you're accepting of it. So uh, for people who are incredibly socially awkward, I'll raise my hand. Um, putting yourself in a situation that like gently yeah it gently challenges you in a way that you still feel safe but you feel like just outside your comfort zone and then you get exposed and comfortable with that and then you push it like just a little bit more and just a little bit more so for you in that case doing the visualization doing the writing like that could have been the starting point of you getting just outside your comfort zone which could have been incredibly small to that yeah um, and there's all kinds of different ways to go about it. But the other thing that, I mean, I'm going to sound like a nerd here for a second, but the idea of the visualization that I've always really liked is that there are these things called mirror neurons in the brain. And literally when you see something, your body preps to do what you are watching, mm-hmm. even though you don't actually go through the physical action of it. Mm-hmm. And it happens the same way when you think of something in your head. Like if you, th- right now, if I said, I want you to picture yourself squatting, there are certain neurons that are firing in preparation to do that thing you think about. Yeah. So if you picture yourself on the platform, like I would bet money that while you were writing about it and thinking about it, like you actually got nervous. Like there was a change probably in your blood pressure, in your heart rate. I get amped up. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really do. I just get anxiety. See? That sounds <laughs> Like just thinking crazy. about it, like just thinking about it, those things start to happen. <laughs> and so if you're giving yourself a chance to be exposed to that, when you're writing and when you're doing the visualization, I mean, that's, in my opinion, that doesn't sound cheesy at all. I think that sounds like a, a perfect introduction to it. I think that's as, as you know, as I got better in lifting, I became, I became more calm until it was like go time. Like mm-hmm. she's seen it at meets where I used to be just like, oh, raging all day. And then Race it turned into, it turned into like calm, confident in my lifts. And then once it's platform time, like I'm a psychopath. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, they just the ability to like flip a switch over. Yeah. But it all yeah. starts with weeks before, months before looking at it, visualizing it, and whether it sounds corny or not, like dreaming that you're going to do it, you mm-hmm. know. Um, on my mirror at home, I would have like my goals for, for lifting. Yeah. You know, and I, it's in the bathroom right in front of where I take a piss every day, mm-hmm. you know, and it would have like the eight steps to get there. And it would be things mm-hmm. like focusing daily, sleep, uh, managing stress. Um, I had to do like one thing outside of the gym that I enjoyed per week. 
you know, whether that was mm-hmm. an activity or whatever. Um, and there was a whole list of things to do, but it was in preparation to get there. So I saw that every single day. And if I was stressed about something, I look, okay, number, whatever says manage stress, you yeah. know, stuff like that. So it helps. I think the people who scoff at things like that are also the people that have never tried it. Not that they don't need to try yeah. it, but haven't realized the benefit of it in the same way that you would have somebody look at powerlifting and be like, why would you want to do three lifts all the time and just lift weights? Like, why is that fun to you? It's like, well, come and try it and <laughs> see if you enjoy like feeling that strong, like feeling that successful as you yeah. accomplish these things. And if you get done after doing the training and you realize, okay, this isn't for me, fine. You tried it. But a lot of people won't even try the visualization or the affirmations Mm -hmm. or the positive reinforcement. So they don't realize the benefit of it and how it might apply to them. Yeah. 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 And it's not like something you do once and then you're done. Like you you have to keep practicing it. So you Mm -hmm. can't expect to be, okay, I did this once. I should be really good at it. But you have to keep doing it. There was a, a saying with it that I really liked where someone asked a presenter, like, why would I do positive reinforcement or self-affirmations if you have to do it every single day like don't you think that that shows that it doesn't work if you have to do it he's like well how often do you shower (laughs) does that mean hygiene doesn't work yeah you keep continually basically doing this mental cleanse you remind yourself this is how i want to be healthy in the same way that you would just take care of everything else on a daily basis that that coincides with like i mean everything in life um you know I, i again i've been reading more into my investing and things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, every single book that I'm reading, every single thing I'm reading on it, articles, whatever, people talk about that. Like you have your goal, you visualize your goal, and you take the steps to that goal, you write down the steps it takes, and then you follow those steps. Like it's it's it doesn't matter if it's athletics, life, whatever your goal is, maybe your goal is to get this degree and then this job, like you have to have steps to get there. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's to uh, not go to college, go do this trade and then I want to work my way up to being my own boss and have my own company. Okay. What's the steps to get there? You know, mm-hmm. um, you, you have to have that goal in mind. You have to visualize it and believe it can happen. If you sit there and constantly make excuses or thoughts of like why it couldn't happen or what could go wrong. Um, you know, she, Lindsay's seen it where I, I analyze, uh, every scenario for a lot of things. And, um, sometimes that, that, doesn't work in my favor sometimes it does work you know mm-hmm. but that visualization visual visualization uh puts me on the right path to getting there mm-hmm. and i have that long-term outlook of what i need to do but i know what i need to do in the short term so i had uh two things i wanted to ask about but I, before we moved on from it i wanted to uh, chloe have you ever uh done any breath work in your work with like the visualization uh, and no. mental imagery um, are you familiar with it at all? I'm going to say no. Okay. Um, no, enough, yeah. so for the handful of clients I've worked with on like recovery programming, one of the things I always end up encouraging them to look into because there's literally dozens of different forms of it is doing some form of breath work. And usually I tell them to start doing it like before bed cause it is fairly relaxing. Um, but then you start putting it after the workouts. However, there's one called Wim Hof that I really like. It's the guy's name. It's W-I-M-H-O-F. And he does these empty lung breath holds. Mm -hmm. And there's also the the box breathing, which is right out of uh, like Navy SEALs and Special Forces training, um, where it's like the four seconds in, four second hold, four second exhale, and then four second empty lung. Mm -hmm. 
and again, if you look up any of these, there's different variations on all of them. But when you pair any one of those with the visualization or the journaling and the writing things out, typically what will happen and coming back to the whole like mirror neuron thing is that we have this physiological response to what we're thinking about. And it's almost uh, predetermined because we have felt stressed and I didn't mean to turn this into like a, a mental health talk show or oh, anything, but like this is one of my favorite things. Yeah, <laughs> like, I struggle with this a lot when it comes to gymnastics. Um, we have this almost predetermined physiological response where our body has learned when I think about performing, I get nervous. I get nervous in this way. So we almost don't get to have the decision to be calm because it's a habit. But when you do the breath work, you take away the body's ability, I shouldn't say take away, but you entice it to not have that reaction. So now you get to just think about it as it is, like just have a very rational thought about performing. And then you get to have this blank slate and you can put on top of that, whatever you want. You know, so in Justin's case, it's amped up, it's getting excited. Um, in my case, I try to get to where I have just clarity as before I go and compete. Like I don't want to be amped up. I don't want to be anxious. I want to just be very neutral going into it. But it helps to give the chance for the vagal tone to actually start to increase, which helps with parasympathetic, takes us out of fight or flight. And then you have this opportunity to think of it basically however you want. See, that would have been useful before I got on this podcast because then I would have been less nervous. <laughs> it does work for social anxiety, too. Mm -hmm. They yeah. taught me it, and I use it for, like, interviews and stuff. Yeah. You could do it right now if you wanted. Just... <laughs> <laughs> I, I really like the, the, the box breathing. Mm -hmm. it, if you actually do it, like look it up of like, you know, how to do it properly. But if you actually do it, it I mean, it works. Mm -hmm. And um, it was designed for if you're ever in confinement and things like that. Like we're talking like you're actually put inside of a box. Um, yep. You know, like that's what they train SEALs. You have to uh, learn to be in confinement in tight quarters, but remain calm so you don't go crazy or hyperventilate or, you know, put more stress on yourself than what's already going on so doing that like and i and I, i'm someone who's terrible you know with worrying or like analyzing things and stuff like that so it it does actually help to do that and um you know whether it's pre-training at night you know whatever doing something like that will probably be beneficial mm -hmm. so i'd try it oh yeah i will thank you for the suggestion what was your other questions you had Kind of along that line, so you had a post where you talked about deconstructing your deadlift. This is back in 2019. Mm -hmm. You put it out there. And not so much along the lines of what did you actually do to deconstruct it, but what is the mindset? Because I think it's really interesting that you mentioned you came into powerlifting like 2013, 2014, and five or six years later, you still have a mindset of, I'm going to completely deconstruct my deadlift so that I can get better. Whereas we mentioned earlier in the podcast, you have people that come into it and after like a year and a half, they're like, oh, I'm not getting any better, I'm done. Yeah. Like you still have an, a mindset of, you know what? Something can be better here. How do I get it? I'm gonna deconstruct this and do that. And I was just wondering what that process is mentally that kind of leads you to want to keep doing that. That's a good question, and it's actually kind of funny timing because last night I was just telling Trevor that 
um, I want to do that with my low bar squat after this this meet. I think it's just when I see the areas that could be improved, I am totally fine with going back to like square one and totally just restarting the lift to figure out how I can make it more efficient because the more efficient I am in the lift, the more I'm going to lift. And that's the whole, whole point of the sport. Well, I mean, it seems very straightforward, but that is not a common mindset. Like yeah, a lot s- of people are scared of it. Like yeah. I have clients that won't, you know, they'll fight me mm-hmm. on like, why aren't we doing, you know, this is easy and I'll get that every week. This is easy. It's supposed to be easy. <laughs> you need to focus on your technique. Mm-hmm. And those are the people that constantly want to push the weights that they hit that plateau because mm-hmm. they never work on it. Yeah. So maybe I don't know if I'm the person to ask because I thought it was just a thing. That- <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously you're a lot farther than most people, so <laughs> must be something to being humble and being willing to take a step back to move forward yeah Yeah. i feel like that's always been worth it anytime i've had to take a step back on that like when i I had a some kind of i don't know an si injury it wasn't like officially diagnosed but i had to um totally redo my squat um like i used to dive bomb into the hole and i had to learn how to control that weight on the way down um I don't know. At any time that I've had to take a step back from the lift, it's been worth it. And have you yeah, ever I mean, it lost? Pay off right away. It's going to take. Yeah. It might take a couple months, but always worth it. And you've probably never lost any strength by doing that. <laughs> no, no. It's, that's probably what people are scared of, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to get mm-hmm. so weak. No, actually, any lift that I've like quote started over on has come back stronger. Mm-hmm. The strength is going to stay there, and you're going to be more efficient. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and you'll see a lot of lifters, even you know during preps. A lot of times you have uh, technique decay, you know, especially when the reps start to come down, weights start to get heavy, things like mm-hmm. that. And there's people that even like gripe about post meet training, you know, having to go back through that stuff. And it's like, especially on a newer lifter that might only be in it for two two years or so, three years, like. You, you have to do that repetitively after meets like you can't just continue on when your technique's not refined enough to do that right. so you see people yeah. like like chloe ha- does have the ability to have pretty quick meet turnarounds um what helps with that a contributing factor is that she has her technique refined she, so if she does decay a little bit during prep you know at all it's not that it's, much it's extra not that much extra to, yeah. to where you know once she reverts back and hits those 70 percent weights or so whatever post meet 65 percent weights she's going to start to um, move even better do you know what i mm-hmm. mean like it's it's right back on pace um whereas someone who's new you know you see it countless times where they you know they go in they're they're um third attempts don't look the prettiest and i mean who's do but you know um but then they come out of that meet and you do see that decay in a newer lifter where it's like do you remember how to squat right <laughs> like remember what we were doing do you, you know and you see it all the time but but yeah i mean i'm one i me and Lindsay both i mean we both reconstructed our lifts a couple times um you know whether it was through you know i had injuries uh with herniations in my back and um you know, I mentioned before, like I squatting 135 and pulling 135, you know, mm-hmm. in the, on the first herniation and came back eight months later and PR'd them. It happens. I mean, your body is going to change. Well, should be probably changing um, in your time 
in the sport, so you're going to mm. probably have to change things anyway. Yeah, yeah your exactly. leverages. And, uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. A lot of people um, go, go up weight classes. Some go down weight classes. Like, you're probably not going to stay at the same weight class you entered. Um, right. And even if you do, right. you're going to look a lot different. Yeah. yeah. If you do, you're looking completely different. So see if we ended up getting any more through the the gram i don't have a huge instagram so i don't expect like a million questions plus uh, if you haven't noticed everyone thinks they know everything on instagram so yeah, there's that so everyone. I'm, not, I'm not super cool either so I'm oh no someone asked how you got so cool i forgot about that one really? Yeah, I don't know if they meant. I don't know who they meant though, because I said I did say for us, so maybe they meant me. And I, who I, I asked was, it? I was just born this way, so yeah, share. Um, the name. The name is. Uh, I think it was Dan O'Brien. Asked it. Oh, okay. I thought maybe it was someone else that likes to. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, strong, strong young guy. Oh, he's got a picture here. Dan, you competed at the fall brawl. Mate, he could have met any one of us. I don't know. <laughs> it definitely didn't meet me. I don't know. I was born this way. I'm just sticking with that. So, Chloe, how did you get so cool? Yeah, I was born this way too. Yeah, <laughs> just, just who just we are. Natural. <laughs> yeah, so that pretty much uh, wraps up. When, when's your showdown? What are we at? Six. Six weeks. Six and a half weeks. Six and a half weeks till the showdown. <sighs> Yeah, uh, that should be you know really big meet. I know we're planning on going as long as Kansas City doesn't lose its mind with lockdowns and such. I'm I'm a little worried about that. We haven't booked anything yet because we're just tickets, just waiting, just in case. Like we have our tickets to the meet, but um, you know if they start shutting everything down again or like limit capacity, that's going to be a yeah. you know an interesting. Thing. Depend, you know, it depends on venues too of how they're going to handle it. I'm not trying to tell anyone how to handle yeah. their their stuff. So, um, depends on the venue, and it is what it is at that point. Yeah. So, um, the showdown powerlifting page hasn't really been posting many updates. So I'm kind of eager to see if they're going to start promoting anything. Or yeah, I know they're probably waiting too. Yeah, I know they went back to masks. Uh, I've heard of possible limitations on capacities um but i haven't nothing's official and we again something could change next week and we all been through that already Mm -hmm. but yeah chloe do you want to uh let everyone know where you're at on instagram your sponsors your people yeah my sponsors um i'm very fortunate to be sponsored by ghost star equipment um my instagram is at Chloe, C-H-L-O dot May, M-A-E dot L. That's the best I could do for an Instagram name everything else is taken. But don't call her Chloe because she doesn't like that. Yeah, no, no it's actually Chloe. <laughs> in person, it's Chloe. I, I wish I could have my name. I can't have my name. There's no way. It's, it's no way possible. I have too common of a name. It sucks. Wish you could get somewhat of your letters in there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I did what I could. Yeah. Yeah, so you got your sponsors. Oh, sorry, your, one more sponsor. Zone Smelling Salt. I did not mean to not mention them. Yeah, you got him. It's, Do you have a code for that? that. Uh, Chloe 10. Okay. I thought so. Yeah, so if you need some <laughs> uh, ammonia, definitely use my code. And if you're listening, connected to sponsors, tell more people to reach out to her. So I'm just saying. 
for a long time is is kind of funny because now like you said like you're um you're starting to get invited to these meets you know i think like your name is starting to grow in the sport more and more and it's like the, you and a few others i'm just like who's not paying attention to these people you know it's crazy chloe was actually off instagram for what like a year yeah, sometimes, so, yeah. And then you <laughs> just. Part of that is like the not getting recognition. Uh, sometimes I'm just like, you know, I, I don't like social media, and then I disappear. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it is me. You know, I, I we talk about this all the time. Where like, it, it, Instagram is one of those weird worlds where you see people have really not done much or have accomplished anything, or honestly, they're shitty business people that I've seen that are that have huge followings and then you see these good people strong people people giving back to the sport get no recognition at all um you see it all the time it's kind of sad to see and then you know people think they're cool because they have a million followers or whatever but it's just you know what though the algorithms aren't a secret you know anyone can play them it's some people choose to not play them uh, also so there's also that but just out here being just being a person <laughs> you know that's how i you know i got a lot to do outside of the instagram and gym world and fitness world so i you know i haven't been on there as much either it's a good thing sometimes um as far as our announcements uh we are a week and a half out from the kentucky open um rupp arena lexington kentucky so um and stop out to that it's a big um convention going on i think they're having like bodybuilding uh strongman you know we'll be there with powerlifting there's a lot going on there if you've never been to lexington it's a very nice area too so it's worth a day trip or something check things out um <clears throat> the you know spectator tickets and all that i'm pretty sure just at the door um i'm don't quote me on how much they're going to be i think it's slightly more like maybe 15 dollars to get into the convention because it's again so many things going on and then we have uh no, oh, that meet's also sold out. I don't know who would want to try to jump in a week and a half out. But um, then October 16th, we're in Winchester, Kentucky uh, at S3 Athletics. That meet has about, I think last checked, like 20 spots, maybe a little bit under. So still good there. Fall Brawl is sold out. Um, we've had a lot of people trying to email to get into that one still. And I'll put you on the wait list, but wait list is, is substantial. So um, not saying you can't get in, but. We have had some dropouts and put people in, but uh, it's probably not going to happen. Um, other than that, we will be announcing the start of next year's meets, at least the first two, um, hopefully here in like September. We're locking down um, some dates with people and where we're actually going to hold it. I think we're going to be hosting the, the ritual meet next spring, so uh, we're just trying to figure out our venue and... Uh, common place for everyone common date for everyone that works so um dane you got anything nothing to Lindsay. nope chloe you want to say anything else say hi to anyone she wants to give a shout out to her dogs well yeah i think that's it we'll we'll see you all later thank you peace